Hey, welcome to the Ocean Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope it encourages you and reminds you that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Well, I just feel like this is a good time to get something off my chest. Um, It is hard living in the shadow of Pastor Josh, I tell you. Man, I feel good. I feel better now that I released that. You know, when I first jumped on staff, uh, people would come up to me constantly and say, man, uh, are you Pastor Josh? Are you Pastor Josh? And, and, and at first I was like, no, no, I'm not Pastor Josh. I'm not Pastor Josh. And it was happening so much, even his family members were thinking I was him. <laughs> and so, you know what? I said, I'm going to embrace this. So, of course, they would come up and say, what a great message. Just powerful. And I would say, thank you. Thank you. I worked really hard on that message. But then uh, I got convicted by the Lord, and so I stopped that. But uh, it is good to be with you today. Um, I am super, super excited uh, to what the Lord has. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name is Kyle. Uh, I'm up at our Cape Coral campus, and uh, it's been about two and a half years since Pastor Josh uh, set Callie and I up there. And it is true, time flies when you're having fun, and Jesus is the center of that fun. Um, We're going to continue in the series, Making Room. And I want to say thank you for your honesty in your questions, your transparency. I've been having conversations just the last couple weeks of people being raw, open. You know, and the Lord doesn't, he doesn't lean back when we're raw, and when we're transparent, he leans forward and says, I can do something with that. Give me more of that. And so today, we're going to be going through that. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, we're going to be in the very first chapter, very first verse. And uh, man, you know, this is, this is really special for me. You know, this is where I cut my teeth in ministry. Uh, I was a greenhorn many years ago, four years ago or so, and uh, I'm just, uh, I'm blown away that the Lord has placed me here at this moment. If you would stand uh, to your feet as we read God's word this morning, it says, this letter is from Paul, Cyrus, and Timothy. We are writing the church in Thessalonica to you who belong to God, Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. We always thank God for all of you, pray for you constantly as we pray to our God and Father about you. We think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, right now, I pray that our hearts would be soft ground for your seed, your word to land. Father, speak to us. Holy Spirit, we need you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, for some of you may know, last September, we welcomed a new, a new addition to the Strom household, uh, a four-legged addition. And uh, some of you may know, uh, we no longer have that four-legged addition in our household. Um, I'm, I'm feeling some judgment already. Um, I thought this was a safe space. Was it not a safe space? You know, when our kids were little, uh, they begged and begged for us to get a dog. And we said no, no. And so all these years, we said no. And, but my daughter's 15, my son's 10 now, and we're like, I think this is a good opportunity for us to get a dog. So we did all the research, welcomed this new dog into our home, a puppy. And 
we're excited. And you know, when you bring a puppy, there's some challenges. There's some challenges that go along with it. Um, you know, uh, I've been in counseling for my anger during this time, and so <laughs> Lord's working through that with me. But we welcome the dog, and what we didn't foresee is that we are never home. We were never home with school, work, uh, sports, cheerleading, anything, everything that happened here at church, we were very rarely home. And we just had that pull of, well, we got to be with the dog, and well, I got to be here, and all that. And so just after talking with the family, talking with the kids, praying, uh, we come to this decision to move on from the dog. And the Lord opened up a home, that loving family, many kids, all that. But we made a decision, and we had a thing in our mind saying this was going to be, and we stepped into it, and we were asking our question, this is not what I thought it was going to be like. Maybe you are in a time in the past, or maybe you're walking through a season right now, this is not what I thought. This is not what I thought. And I want to look at scripture, and the verse that we just read in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is the, the writer of this letter. And he's on his second missionary journey, and he was coming from Philippi into Thessalonica. In Acts 17, too, it talks about Paul's, his custom, what he does when he comes into a city. He goes right to the synagogue. He goes right to the synagogue to preach the gospel. Thessalonica is a very large city, roughly around 100 to 200,000 people. It's a florential city, wealth, trading going on. They worship many pagan gods. So Paul goes to the, the synagogue, starts preaching the gospel and telling them about a man named Jesus. And people's hearts are stirred. The Holy Spirit is speaking to them and people are coming to Christ in a rapid rate. Now, Paul is only there for a short time. Scriptures say he was there for three Sabbaths, roughly three, it could be uh, more, uh, three weeks or it could be more. But people are coming to Christ. And as they're coming to Christ, persecution is happening. It is coming hard at them. They are angry that people are turning to Christ. And so Paul has to flee very shortly. And as he's fleeing, his heart is being broke. And the young believers that are being turned to Jesus, now being persecuted, watching their leader leave, are thinking the same thing. This is not what I thought. This was not what I thought when I accepted Jesus into my life. And so this letter is written back to the young church in Thessalonica to encourage them. Paul wants to encourage them, and he wants to encourage you and I today in his letter. And the first thing he says is, you belong. You know, we all want to belong, don't we? We, we see it. This is uh, the National Institute of Health put an article in the early 90s, and it was page after page, but the, the crust of the article is it's a fundamental need for you and I to belong. We see that in country clubs. We belong to country clubs. One day, one day, I'll be to a country club. One day. Not, not today, but one day. You know, we, we, we belong to grocery stores in our communities. We belong to this awesome community here at Ocean Church, and these are all good things. But Paul is saying, you belong to Jesus Christ. And 1 John 3, 1 says, see what a great love has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, 
And that's what we are. We are children of God. He is our father. He is our great father. But you know what? The enemy wants to come and he wants to speak lies to you and I and says, you are an orphan. You don't belong to anybody. You belong to me. There's a book called An Angel Story by Max Licato. I recommend you read it. It's a great read. It's a short read. That's probably why I like it. I have a tension span of a two-year-old, but that's okay. But in this book, Max Licato paints this awesome picture of this, this conversation between God the Father and Gabriel. And he invites Gabriel into the throne room, and he says, Gabriel, I got a great mission for you. I got something awesome for you. I want you to take this awesome, special gift to the world. I want you to take this gift to Mary. And as they're having this conversation, Lucifer walks into the room and immediately the atmosphere changes. And now God the Father and Lucifer, Satan himself, has a conversation and it goes like this. Satan, I thwart everything you do. You soften hearts, I harden them. You teach truth, I shadow it. You offer joy, I steal it. The betrayal of Joseph by his brothers, I did that. Moses banished to the desert after killing the Egyptian, I did that. David watching Bathsheba bathe, that was me. You must admit, my work has been crafty. And God responds, crafty perhaps, but effective no. I know what you will do even before you do it. I use the betrayal of Joseph to deliver my people from famine. Your banishment of Moses became his wilderness training. And yes, David did commit adultery with Bathsheba, but he repented of his sin. And thousands have been inspired by his example and found what he found, unending grace. Your deceptions have only served as platforms for my mercy. You are still my servant, Satan. When will you learn? Your feeble attempts to disturb my work only enable my work. Every act you have intended for evil, I have used for good. Jesus is on our side. He is our great father. You know, when I was a kid, I would get in arguments with my friends in the neighborhood. And of course, you go from that, well, I'm, I'm stronger than you and I can beat you up. And then it turns into, well, my dad's bigger than your dad, right? <laughs> And then I go home, Dad, you need to beat up this, this kid's dad. <laughs> but this is what it is. Jesus is bigger than Satan. See, Satan thinks he has power over you and I. He doesn't. He has to answer to God the Father. You know, God wants to come alongside us, and he is our children. And we have special privilege. You know we have access to God that other people don't, the, other, the world doesn't. He talks to, to you and I. We have direct conversations with God. And God is talking sometimes the loudest in our uninspected, our, our this is not what I thought, in our pain. C.S. Lewis has a quote, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What is God speaking to you right now in your pain? The other thing that Paul wants to encourage us is that you have hope. We have hope. You know, we need hope to live. We need hope to survive. You know, commanders of armies, they plot and 
they try to win the battle before the war even starts. And if they can get the soldiers to lose hope and have no hope, then what's the use of even fighting? We see this with David and Goliath. Goliath comes out day after day after day, yelling at the Israelites, mocking them, mocking God. And what's their response? How, how can we even beat this guy? He's too big. He's intimidating. Hope is lost. Back in the 50s, there was a biologist named Kurt Richer, and he took two rats, put them in water, and see how long they would keep their heads above the water line. After about 15, 20 minutes, they started sinking, so he took them out of the water, rescued them, dried them off, and held them for about 20 minutes to rest, then put them back in to see how long they would last. They lasted over 60 hours. Why? Because they had hope someone was going to come and rescue them. This is how powerful hope is. But Jesus is talking about, I am the true hope. 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is his great mercy he has given us birth into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, the world offers a lot of hope. You know, we can put our hope in an individual. We can put our hope into an organization. We can even put our hope in things, but they always come up short, don't they? God is saying, my hope is a living hope, and my hope won't disappoint. Peter goes on to say that we are storing up a treasure, an inheritance in heaven that won't be affected by this world. But God is transforming our lives in our pain. And just like fire tests gold and purifies gold, God is purifying us in our unexpected, in the things that we did not see coming in our lives. And he has a special plan. He has mercy for us. He's got a great reward for us. But we have to understand, this life that we live here is not our eternal home. There's that old song where, this is not my home, I'm just a passing through. God is saying, I have a hope and a treasure for you, waiting for you in heaven. Yes, you're going to go through trials for a little while down here, but don't lose heart. You know, it's okay to ask the why. You know, God wants us to lean in and say, why? He wants us to ask those questions. But he's not okay for us to stay in the why, to plant, to camp in the why. Because if we camp and plant in the why, our hearts will become hard. Our vision will now become inwardly. And our, 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 our motives, our hearts will take us to places, people, substances, escape that will only let us down. And those cracks that are happening in our heart, of our heart because we're getting hard are now pathways for Satan to come in and to say lies into our hearts. And anger will rise up and we'll say why and we'll live in the why. God does not want us to live in the why. He has a purpose for our pain. He's doing something. Do you see it? I'm going to invite my beautiful bride up here. And as she's coming up here, you know, when I was 
roughly 19, early 20s, um, I had no vision for my life. I had no goals, really. Uh, Jesus was a part of my life, but you would not know that by my actions and the way that I was living. The only things that I cared about was making money, uh, playing hard, and I never wanted to get married. Bachelor to the rapture. That's just foolish talk, foolish talk. But that all changed when I put my eyes on Callie Odessa McCollum. We got married in 2007, and uh, we had a goal. We're saying the five-year plan. We wanted, you know, not have kids for five years, travel, make money, you know, do all those things. Well, nine months in, we found out that we were pregnant. And of course, my first reaction is, how did this happen? I was very sheltered as a kid. You can ask my parents, they're here this morning. But uh, we had our daughter, it was an unbelievable experience, and for the next three and a half years, it was a great time, a great time. But then we just said, you know, I think it's time for us to, to try for some more. And uh, we got pregnant pretty, pretty quickly, and uh, I still remember uh, you went to, you and Landon went to the ultrasound for that first visit, and uh, I got the call, and I was actually just right up the road, and the first thing I said, when I got on the call, I said, so, are we having twins? And then there was a long pause. With some crying. And with some crying. And she said, yes. And now our world has changed. Now we have to get two of everything. And we have to sell a car. She wanted me to sell my truck. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> so we sold her car, got a minivan. And now, this is where our journey begins. Well, good morning. Thank you guys for letting us share our story. Um, I'm just going to read, um, just because I'm not great at this, and I'm super nervous. Um, but I just want to share our story with you, if that's okay, this morning. So on Friday, March 29th, 2013, happened to be Good Friday, we arrived at the hospital to deliver our twins, a boy and a girl, via C-section. Up until that point, my pregnancy had been great. It had been normal for a multiple birth, um, no complications. All ultrasounds had looked wonderful. Um, I carried them to 37 weeks, and the doctor was like, we can deliver them now, or you can wait till 39 weeks. And I said, nope, I'm done. I was 37 weeks, but I measured 46 weeks, so I was done. Um, everything went as planned until our first twin, her name was Wesley Caroline, was born. The doctors immediately knew something was wrong, and nothing had shown up on any of the ultrasound pictures at all. Uh, everything got quiet, and I felt like everyone was holding their breath. She was held up over the little curtain for me to see. She was just super tiny. Um, and then they took her over to the side of the room. The doctors then delivered twin B. His name was Miles Andrew. He came out crying, and I could already tell he was full of endless energy. And if you know Miles, you know that to be true to this day. Wesley and Miles were then brought to me to hold for a few seconds and to kiss and, of course, take our first picture together. After that, things are just a blur. Wesley was taken to the NICU, and thankfully, Miles was able to come straight to my room as soon as I came out of recovery. 
the rest of the day and next, we were given so much information about Wesley and everything that was wrong and what could possibly happen to her that I shut down. We weren't sure what was really going on. All we knew is that we were missing one of our babies and we weren't allowed to go down and see her. I had never been so thankful for Kyle, my mother, and all of our family and friends. We were being surrounded by and lifted up in prayer 24 hours a day. Two very profound moments stand out to me, even 10 years later. The first was on Saturday morning, March 30th. There were about seven or eight ladies in our room. They were praying and holding up Wesley, praying over her, praying peace and comfort. And my friend said, you have called Callie and Kyle to walk this path. Please give them the strength and courage that she needs that can only come from you, our Father. I remember as soon as those words came out of her mouth, I filled with anger and yelled, why? I literally just yelled it at the top of my lungs. And I started crying uncontrollably. My emotions were raw and real, but I knew that God could handle it and was listening. And he was there in the midst of all the pain and anger with me. The second moment that has stayed with me was Saturday evening. It was close to midnight. I still had not been allowed to see Wesley. Kyle had been able to go down to the NICU and hold her for short amounts of time and would bring me back pictures, but it just wasn't the same as being able to hold her. So around midnight, when it was only Kyle, Miles, and myself, one of the NICU nurses snuck Wesley up to my room. They called her the fugitive because she wasn't supposed to be out of the NICU. I only got to hold her for about five minutes, but I will forever be grateful for that nurse who saw a need and brought my baby to me. On Easter Sunday, March 31st, the doctors at the hospital where we were decided that they could not properly care for our daughter. They felt it would be best to life flight her over to Miami Children's Hospital. There were more doctors there that could figure out what, what, she, what she had, um, what was wrong. So on Easter Sunday, Wesley was brought to my room in an incubator with so many wires and machines, her own personal team of doctors and nurses, so that we could say goodbye. I was not able to be discharged yet, so Kyle and his brother Eric drove over to Miami to be with Wesley. My mom and dad stayed with me. It was a divide and conquer moment. As Wesley was filled out of my room, I realized that all of the planning and preparation we had done to get their room ready, the matching outfits hanging in their closet, and the unique moments only twins have was null and void. The life that I had imagined with our sweet twins had taken a drastic turn. It was totally unexpected. This was not something I wanted or something that I felt that we felt prepared to handle. We questioned God so much that day. We pleaded with him to please take this from us and our family. We were hurt and confused. We couldn't understand why God would give us such an amazing pregnancy, such perfect ultrasound pictures, a vision for our future, and then completely rip it out from under us. Nothing made sense. We, I was discharged from the hospital. A couple of days later, we traveled across the state to Miami Children's Hospital with our four-year-old daughter and, the new, and Miles. Um, we began the process of learning and grasping what our future would hold. After meeting with many doctors, Wesley was diagnosed with Icardi syndrome. It's a rare genetic neurological disorder that primarily affects only newborn girls. Wesley was born without a corpus callosum and a very underdeveloped cerebellum. 
She was tiny, only weighing four pounds. She was missing her left eye. She had a very small right eye, and the left side of her head and face was underdeveloped. We were told that she was deaf and blind, would probably never eat normally, never sit up, never walk, never talk, would begin having seizures, and would probably not make it to her first birthday. It was a lot, a lot to take in, a lot to understand, a lot to explain to her four-year-old sister, and a lot for Wesley's precious little body to go through. The doctors didn't know a lot about the disorder because of its rarity, but knew there was not a cure. It was terminal. And because of the severity of her case, in particular, it would be a miracle if she made it to her first birthday. She spent about eight weeks in the NICU um, and just determined that there was nothing the doctors could do that would help her. So we um, began the process of learning how to take care of her at home. We went through several classes, counseling, and then on May 17th, we brought her home. I'm not sure we slept at all that night leading up to bringing her home. We were petrified and to be completely honest, a little angry. Our thoughts were all over the place. How could we care for her and keep her alive? How are we going to love her and give her the attention that she would need while also being able to love and take care of our other two children? I questioned God. How could he give us the hope of this future with our sweet family of five only to have that hope and dream ripped off like a Band-Aid? But mostly I was just scared, scared of the responsibility and how inadequate we felt. That morning, as I was standing in front of the mirror getting ready, I was crying out to the Lord with all of our questions and fears and asking for wisdom and comfort and peace. Immediately, I heard him whisper to me, you don't control her number of days. I created her and I know when she will come home. I want you to just love her. There was so much freedom in those words at that moment and it gave me the peace and the comfort that we needed. We brought her home and then in July, she was admitted back into the hospital with complications from her breathing. After monitoring her and trying a few different medications, it was determined that this was just going to be the way that she was and that she would just continue to deteriorate. We shared with her doctor that our wish was for her to pass away at home with us. We didn't want to be in the hospital. They honored that wish and allowed us to meet with the palliative care team. Wesley was placed on in-home hospice and we brought her home. After this, the only time we had to take her outside the home was when she met with one of her doctors. Every other nurse, therapist, or doctor came to our house. It was an emotional and trying time, but also such a sweet time with her. It was really hard to do anything outside the home. Inside our home was where she felt comfortable and safe. If we ever tried to do something and take Wesley with us, her seizures would increase, her breathing would be so labored, and you could see it on her face that she was in pain. Looking back now, I can see God's hand in everything, but at that time, I felt so alone and so angry. Even now, it's so hard to admit my anger because I hate how self-centered I was and truly in the situation. I felt like none of our friends or even Kyle truly understood how hard it was for me to get out of bed every morning. There was a stretch of time where there were only two things that I looked forward to every day, going to bed and reading my devotional. Going to bed meant that I could forget everything for a few hours. 
and reading my devotional was a reminder that the Lord was still there and he was holding us up and he was giving us the strength to make it through each day, sometimes minute by minute. One of the most cherished memories during this time was watching Landon, our oldest daughter, care for and unconditionally love on Wesley. Landon didn't see Wesley's deformities or sickness. She didn't think about the future and having to say bye. All she saw was her long-awaited sister. At her age, she helped me change diapers. We taught her how to feed Wesley through her G-tube. Um, she would sing and cuddle both Landon and my, uh, Wesley and Miles. And it was a daily reminder for us of how Christ loves us and cares for us. He doesn't see us as the world does. He sees us and how we were created in him, his image. Landon didn't worry about anything but making sure Wesley and Miles knew that they were love. Landon, in her childlike faith, taught me how to love Wesley. I struggled with wanting to love Wesley because I knew I was going to have to say bye very soon. But through Landon, the Lord showed me how I could. We were able to travel up to St. Augustine over Thanksgiving break to be together with family. Hospice made the trip possible. They took all the equipment that we needed up there and they were on call in case we needed them. While spending time with family, we began to notice that Wesley seemed to be getting sick. Once we got home, her regular nurses came to do a checkup and we were able to put her on some medication. She seemed to be improving, but then on December 13th, while home by myself, with Wesley and Miles. Sorry. She stopped breathing and turned blue. With help from the Holy Spirit, I was able to react quickly and got her breathing again. I quickly called my sister-in-law, Bethany. She lived two streets over, and all I said was, I need you. She quickly rushed over to help and encouraged me to call Wesley's hospice nurses. The nurses quickly arrived and said the words that I had dreaded hearing for eight months. It's probably time to call in the family. My heart dropped and I could feel myself beginning to panic. I then had to make the phone call to Kyle to let him know. Not a call I ever wanted to make, but the Lord gave me the strength to say those words. For the next 24 hours, our house was filled with family, friends, and so much love. We had some sweet, lasting memories together. We shared some laughs and many tears. On December 14th at 5.57 p.m., Wesley went from her earthly father's arms to her heavenly father's arms. Kyle and I had talked openly about her passing, and our hope was for her to pass peacefully in our arms and with no one else around except for the three of us. Our sweet Lord, who loves us abundantly, heard our prayers for that day. And in that moment, it was just us. The next few hours were such a blur, but we were given such a gift from the Lord and that I truly believe he allowed us to see Wesley as he saw her, perfect in his image. She was no longer struggling to breathe, no more pain, no more seizures. We couldn't even see any of her physical deformities. She had entered into his presence and had been made new. And the Lord, in his compassion and love for us, allowed us just a glimpse of how he had always seen her. She was beautiful, healed, and glowing in his presence. Our daughter's story, short life, had a purpose and still has a purpose. We may never fully understand why Wesley had to endure such pain and struggle, but we hold firm in knowing that the Lord loves her way more than we ever could. 
His love for his children is unmatched. We just passed the 10-year mark of Wesley being in heaven and not here with us. And some days are still so hard. It's all we can do to get through the day. We may have only had eight and a half months on earth with her, but we have the hope through Jesus that we will have an eternity with her in heaven. As a believer, this is one of the most amazing gifts we have been given. I don't think it made losing her any easier in the moment, but year after year of not being able to do life with her, we can always hope and long for the days in eternity of finally getting to hold our child and watching her interact with her siblings. And that fills us with immense joy. Oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. This is not what we thought. This is not what we thought. We asked why. We camped in the why. My heart became hard. I was a mess, you guys. A mess. I abandoned Callie. I tried to escape to things to fulfill, but it only led to emptiness. I was like, God, why? Why? But he had a purpose. He had people in our lives from this church to come alongside us, to love us, to point us back to Jesus, and constantly showing the love of Jesus in our lives. And Wesley's life affected many people But I honestly think Wesley was born kind of selfishly for me. I was living in a box, scared, can't do this, can't do that. And Wesley came in and changed all that. And I'm standing here today by the grace of God in a calling that I never thought I would be in. But Wesley helped me get here by the grace of God. It was a purpose. There was a purpose for her life. God has a purpose for your life, what you're walking through. What the enemy has used for evil, God has used for good. You know, we have a great expectation that we know that Wesley Caroline Strom belongs to Jesus and she's in his arms right now and we have hope that one day we will see her again we live with great expectations if you would bow your head heads this morning close your eyes what is the Lord saying to your heart this morning you know he's knocking at your door he's knocking at your heart Will you answer the door? You know, we shut the door on our hearts in this season, but the one thing that Callie and I refuse to do is lock it. God wants to get into your heart and he wants to speak to you. I want to pray over you right now. Father, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for speaking to us. 
Lord, I pray for each soul, each heart right now in the room, watching. Lord, give them peace. Give them a hope. Remind them that they belong to you. They do not belong to the enemy. Father, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would close your eyes once again, you know, I, I don't want this, this time to pass. I, I, I know the Lord is stirring hearts in the room and watching. If the Lord is saying, hey, I want to come into your life and you you know deep within your heart that you don't belong to Jesus and you have no hope but Jesus wants to come and he wants to be your father if he's stirring your heart this morning and you say Pastor Kyle I want to accept Jesus into my life would you be so bold to raise your hand right now where you're at just raise your hand if that's you thank you thank you praise God Praise God. Lord, we thank you for the people, the hearts that were stirred to you this morning. Father, walk with them. I know you're going to walk them. I know you're going to meet them. But Lord, I pray for the people walking through difficult situations right now, and they're asking the why, and they're asking, this is not what I've foreseen. Lord, meet them in their situations. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks again for listening. If you'd like more information or if you'd like to connect with us, visit oceanchurch.com. We love you and hope you join us soon online or at one of our campuses located in Southwest Florida.